Welcome to the Well My Therapist Says podcast. I am Jesse Steffes. And I'm Latika Sally. And this is our season finale episode. I'm this has been such a wild ride and so fun to do. Yeah. I'm yeah. I knew it was gonna be awesome. Well, we'll talk about it at the end. I didn't know it was gonna be this awesome. <laughs> I want this season finale episode to be as good, if not better, than the season finale of Ted Lasso. <laughs> I haven't watched that, so I don't even have a reference, but I know that is a fully funded production <laughs> on on Apple TV, so that's a lot to live up to. Maybe since we talked about them, they'll sponsor us for our next yes. season. Next season, sponsor. Let's say a few other places we want to sponsor. I love Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> you love Chipotle so I wear Nike sometimes. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Okay, well, anyways, we'll try our sponsors later. Um, We're talking today about body liberation, specifically body liberation versus body positivity. And we saved this episode for last because I think this this is the soapbox you and I will die on. Forever and ever. Forever. This is, this is what will be on our tombstones. Right. Yeah. Work towards body liberation. That's right. Yeah. So first things first, we want to we wanna dive into why we use the language body liberation, or we've used the words body reclamation, body respect. We use terms like that instead of body positivity or alongside body positivity, because body positivity has really been co-opted right. and has gotten contaminated. Very contaminated. So you'll hear us use body positivity sometimes when we're trying to shorthand or explain to the masses, if you will, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really, it's not the language that we align with because it's been, it's been derived really far actually from its origins. Right. It's origins, which were really in the fat acceptance, fat activism realm. Mm -hmm. And it looks very different now. Yeah. And so one of the things that frustrates me about the body positive movement as we know it today, or like hashtag BOPO, hashtag body positive, is when we look that up now, a lot of what we see are usually white women in thin or smaller bodies highlighting parts of their bodies that are maybe not as beautiful or that they don't find as much acceptance around, like their stretch marks, or if they have rolls in their tummy. Um, that's really not what the body positive movement was around or about. You're welcome to stay in the body (laughs) positive movement. We want all who, who want to be here. Um, but we want to highlight that the body positive movement and certainly the work we do does not give a shit about aesthetics. Right. It's not. And it's also not how you feel about your body. Right. Not exclusively. Not exclusively. Like, obviously we want people to feel good in their bodies and the skin that they're in, but that's not how it started. Right. But I do want to say, like, I am very thankful to body positivity because I don't think I would have ever gotten to body liberation and fat acceptance without BOPO. Right. Well, and there are some there are some leaders that we want to name. One is Christy Harrison, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But we also have Lindo Bacon. Their work um, around um, health at every size has been monumentally shifting. And then also Sonia Renee Taylor. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I love Sonia Renee Taylor. You the all probably know that right? about both of us. And one of the things I love most about that book is because it speaks to the social worker in me because it yeah. talks a lot about the systems at play. Right. Which I think in next next season, we're going to get a lot more in depth into 
um, the systems that play around body stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we hope in this episode today is to give you a really clear understanding of how body liberation is um, positioned in recognizing diet culture and then rejecting diet culture. We're going to help you understand the components of body image, and then we're going to give you some takeaways. So do you want to go into helping us understand, Latika, what diet culture is? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think it's a starting place. And I think it's something we have said a few times on the podcast, and I'm wondering if people are like, well, what does that even actually mean? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's another word that gets talked about, not often defined unless you're trying to define it. So we think it'd be really helpful to define it. So this definition about um, diet culture comes from Christy Harrison, um, and it has uh, four different parts. So the first part is, well, first of all, diet culture is a system of system of beliefs that one worships thinness and equates it to health and moral moral virtue um which means you can spend your whole life uh thinking you're broken um or you're not ideal if you're not thin right yeah then next it it promotes weight loss as a means of attaining higher status which means you feel compelled to spend massive and i mean massive (laughs) amount of money, energy, and time trying to shrink your body, even though the research is really clear and the part of this research you can find in the Health at Every Size book as well, the research is clear that intentional weight loss um, is usually not sustained Mm -hmm. past a few years. Right. Our bodies are not meant to lose weight. Right. The next point is it demonetizes it demoralizes. Sorry. Demoralizes. demoralizes. I don't know why. <laughs> that word. <laughs> it demoralizes certain ways of eating while it, um, elevating others. So this is where we get hypervigilance about what you're eating. Right. This is also where we get morality around food. So this is good or bad. Um, and then lastly, it oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health. Um which disproportionately harms women, femmes, trans folks, people in larger bodies, people of color, people with disabilities. And it's very harmful to both physical and mental health. Yeah. Which, you know, when we think about why it's important for us to even try to dismantle diet culture or talk about this on a podcast episode, it's because of that last part. It's because of how harmful diet culture is to mental and physical health of individuals, especially those who are already vulnerable. Right. We're not talking about dismantling Harry Potter culture or something (laughs) that doesn't harm people, right? Right. This isn't a preference, but this is a very sneaky thing that is embedded in our world and in our culture that is having an impact on us and is impacting our well-being. And so it's important enough to talk about it. Right. Yeah. So when we think about, you know, this last item that you talked about in the, the four parts of defining diet culture, one of the things that comes up that we've, we don't often hear talked about, but is important is the idea of thin privilege or having access if you live in a thinner body. Mm -hmm. And we won't spend a ton of time here because I think we will end up really untangling this in a future episode. Right. 
But when we talk about the idea of thin privilege, what we're talking about is that more often than not, if you live in what's called a straight size body, which is not a large body, you have access to things and you experience a privilege in that. So being able to buy clothes easily or be able to fit into, I mean, I don't know who's fitting into airplane seats anymore. They've gotten so small, <laughs> but maybe you don't have to ask for a seatbelt extender. Yeah. Um, There's a research and st- statistics around people in larger bodies actually getting paid less and not having mm-hmm. access to jobs. Right. Um, exactly. And so there, there is some actual experiences here where thinness is prioritized or it's, um, it's valued. Right. And I want to add that we often talk about representation and this is another area. Right. Where, you know, and when we talk about thinness equaling access, and, and I think you'll talk a little bit about some of the sneaky language within, um, how to recognize diet culture. But one of the things that I try to teach my clients is often when we say, I'm worried I'm getting fat or I'm feeling fat, um, or I just want to be thin. We're actually saying if we had the language for it, I'm worried I'm going to lose access. I'm worried I'm going to lose privilege. Mm -hmm or I'm pursuing thinness to gain access and to gain privilege. Mm -hmm. And we really want to untie this from health pursuing behaviors. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about dieting, um, restriction of food or over exercise, things like that. Trying to manipulate the size of our bodies Mm -hmm. in an effort to gain access to things. We're not talking about, I want to be more mobile. And so I'm going to hike more. Right. 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 What we're doing is actively separating out weight and body size from health promoting behaviors. Yes. Let's talk about that for a couple more seconds. Because I feel like that actually is the crux of what makes this episode diet culture and body liberation versus, you know, anything else we really actually want to be pursuing. Right. And so Lindo Bacon's book, Health at Every Size, really helps us understand that the size of our body, the shape of our body has nothing to do inherently with our health. Right. And so we can see actually that in larger bodies, we have um, less access to good quality medical care. Mm -hmm. Those are all some of those systemic stuff we can talk about. But what we're talking about here is the underpinning of wanting to change our body, wanting to spend our money to change our body in the pursuit of access, not can I drink more water? Do I want to reduce or eliminate substance use? Right. Do I want to move more days than not in my body? Right. How much sleep am I getting? How much sleep am I getting? And all of those things may shift what our body feels like, may even change the size or shape of our body. But we're separating that out because when we focus those behaviors on weight loss, we are not successful. And we actually have a huge amount of mental health issues as a result. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to say here, too, that health is also a choice. Yes. And every person has the autonomy to choose health or not choose health. Right. And it's not a moral point. It's not morality. Yeah. And I think, too, what what you and I both align in is that if you want to pursue health, if you want to pursue healthful behaviors, you don't have to wait to look a certain way or to be a certain size. Right. That again is something that you're entitled to. Yeah. That just made me think of Meg Boggs. Yeah. Again, because she talks a lot about that. And if you don't follow her, you should on Instagram because you get to see her pursuing 
health behaviors and really enjoying her body and moving her body um, and letting go of diet culture. Yeah. And what I love about, we're on a tangent, but it's a good one. What I love about Meg Boggs is she calls herself a fat athlete. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is amazing about her is she, she is doing in a body we don't expect to be able to do fucking incredible athletics. She is moving, jump, she's agile, she can, she's strong, Mm -hmm. she can move stuff. She is an incredibly gifted athlete in a fat body, which she's the picture of. You can do all kinds of health-promoting behaviors and be in fantastic shape. Yeah. And that doesn't mean your body's going to look a certain way. Yeah. And I think that hooks us right back into what we were just talking about around defining body or diet culture is that even though all that is true for her, she gets so much hate online because people have, as a, as a culture and society, we have a hard time separating out health from diet culture and these behaviors. Well, and when we're still stuck in something ourselves, we can experience what's called attribution theory. Mm -hmm. Um, Victims of sexual assault experience this very frequently where we can, if we can identify what that person did wrong to have the bad thing happen to them, all I have to do is make sure I don't do that bad thing. Right. So we say things like, well, where was she walking? Why was she walking alone at night? And, And in this case, I'm talking about a female identified survivor, but we ask things like what they were wearing. And so if we can look at someone in a fat body, if we maybe live in a thin body or we're pursuing diet culture and every ounce of our energy and effort is going towards staying thin, Mm -hmm. we can look and say, well, what are you eating? Oh, you ate a cheeseburger. That's why you're fat. I I didn't. (laughs) So I'm okay. I didn't. So I'm okay. Right. Um, so she confuses people. She confuses people because she <laughs> she's doing all the things out of joy. She's a joyful mover. She's doing all the things. She's an intuitive eater. She's doing all of them out of this really healthy mindset, but her body remains fat. And that's confusing for someone who believes if they just work out, they won't be fat. Right. And so, of course, instead of having the self-reflection, internet trolls instead say mean things right so awful things meg boggs follow her comment she's amazing amazing we love she's her. also got some really cool hair she <laughs> doesn't have cool hair she's got the coolest hair <laughs> and she has a book out um to that is focused on joyful movement and how to build a movement practice so and she, she makes that book out to be um so that you can craft your own workouts, right? Yeah, I think so. It's, I think it's called Fitness for Everybody. Yes, Fitness yeah. for Everybody. And it's on Audible, too, if you're like me, someone who prefers to listen to their books. I will say, though, it's worth buying and looking at because there's like actual pictures of her doing oh, the movement awesome. so that you can see it. And there's also some fantastic um, art in there mm. or like... Um, Graphics. Graphics by the artists that you really like online. Morgan Harper Nichols. No, she makes... Um, oh, Stephanie Chin. Yes, her. Yeah. So she she's done some of the art for that book. I feel like this episode and our last episode are a bunch of shout outs to everybody we love. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You can know who, who we love so you can start to follow yeah. and learn and enjoy in the way that we do. Stephanie Chin, I have to say this as we move on. Stephanie Chin is a great artist and she's a great ally to the community of individuals in larger bodies. Yes. Because she's in more of a straight size body, but she engages in body liberation work in a way that 
is really appropriate for yeah. her. And she's very aware of um, the privilege she experiences in her body. Yeah. She's and a really gifted artist too. And her art reflects that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you, earlier you talked a little bit about sneaky language and you were talking, you said one of them actually, mm-hmm. the I feel fat, mm-hmm. right? That is sneaky language because fat is not a feeling. Yeah. Right. So that's one one clue that you might be engaging in some diet culture kind of talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some other sneaky language might be, again, moralizing food. So this food is good and that food is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, food has no morality. It's nope. just food. Yep. Um, and we get to choose how to engage with food intuitively, we hope. Um, or other things like this is clean. Mm. Clean eating. Clean eating. Which is always like, is everything else dirty eating? <laughs> the only dirty eating you can do is if you drop your apple in some dirt. <laughs> Don't drop your gummy gummy worms in dirt and eat them. That's right. dirt. Yeah. Or like, you know, when kids are kiddos and they cut up or they smush up the cookies and put the worms in there, the gummy worms. Oh, those mud. That's dirty yeah. eating. There you go. <laughs> and it's still delicious. Yeah. Um, what other sneaky language can you think of? I'm thinking about any type of language that Noom uses. <laughs> <laughs> Call them out, girl. <laughs> Noom. Yeah. We'll tell you who we love and who we hate. But when we, you can know that something is diet culture. And, and on, on a broad spectrum right now, diet culture is disguising itself in wellness culture. Right. And so it's getting harder to detect. Yeah. Christy Harrison calls this healthism. Healthism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, so, so Noom will say things things like this isn't a diet it's a lifestyle change no it's actually cbt behaviors placed on restriction of food right and so anytime you see foods being elevated over another and we're not talking about if you have an allergy right. we're not talking about or if um, you have specific needs right if they're to certain. maintain your health mm-hmm. but we're talking about the idea of like you'll um you'll see them um recommending less nutrient-dense food or lower caloric foods as healthier because Mm -hmm. they don't have as many calories in it when it's actually not meeting our nutritional needs or some of our nutritional intake that we need. Right. Um, So that's some of the sneaky language that... When you said that, I thought Noom is just like fancy Weight Watchers, which also changed their name to get away from the term weight. Yeah, Yeah, to be more in wellness. And we want to we want to say too we're talking about body liberation from a space of already having rejected diet culture. If you are still choosing to restrict food in a certain way or be overly mindful or hyper vigilant about your food, you also have a right to do that. Yeah, we don't get to tell you that you you must stop anything. Well, in one of mine, and I'm gonna say yours too. You can tell me if I'm wrong. One of my strongest values in life is autonomy, especially around body, body autonomy. Right. People get to do what they want with their bodies. That's right. And so while I may not choose to run five miles in a day because that's not enjoyable, somebody else might. Right. Or if someone else chooses to eat salads for lunches because they make their body feel better, that's fine. We're not saying, you know, throw everything out the window, but what we're talking about is how can we make sure that the motivation and intention behind certain behaviors aren't laced in diet culture if possible. Right. Right. The challenge here is to examine and reflect on why you're doing the thing you're doing. Right. 
And so some more of that sneaky language you were talking about, I'm thinking about when people say, and this is coming up close to the holidays, um, oh, I'm just going to be bad today. Yes. <laughs> or New Year's resolutions. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. Or needing to earn whatever yeah. it is that you're eating. Right. I'm going to go for a run this morning so that I can eat Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we can see sneaky language. And once you immerse yourself into anti-diet culture, it's almost like nails on a chalkboard. It- it's exactly like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> it's so hard to not hear everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Or even see, um, like, um, oh, I love Trader Joe's so much, but some of their food is labeled as guilt-free. Oh, is it? Yeah. Like, they have these enough. really delicious chips. I like them because they're thinner. Like, they crunch harder <laughs> than the other chips, but they're, like, reduced guilt chips. And I'm like, I didn't have any guilt to start with about any of the chips. <laughs> right. But okay. Are yeah. they reduced price, too? Because it's not as much chip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so those are some of the sneaky, like, language pieces. Right. right. Would you add anything else to how to, to hear the sneaky language of diet culture? Oh, willpower. We need to talk about willpower. Before we go to willpower, I think a... a a good rule of thumb is anything around you should or shouldn't be doing something is likely coming out of diet culture. Right. So that's a way to recognize language as well. Yeah. More, that's that moralizing. Moralizing. Yes. Um, Okay. What do you want to say about willpower? I want to say it briefly because I think this also needs to show up in its own episode, but I I don't believe in willpower. I don't think it needs to be a thing. And we said this in a previous um, episode and we got some response back of like, what? That's not a thing? Or why isn't it a thing? And wanting more information about it. So we will maybe dive into it more. But we want to reframe willpower because willpower is often talked about as this magical thing that you just have or you don't have and you can push through versus a commitment to your goals and how you're going to get there and coping and decision-making like it, lots of things go into meeting your goal. Right. That's not willpower. And we're, yeah. When I think of willpower, I often hear clients say, I don't have enough willpower because I ate this stuff or I didn't have enough willpower because I missed this training opportunity. That's not, what that is yeah you know well it's shame inducing when you're talking about that it's really that framework invites shame right and and it is different like you said if i don't need willpower to do the things that are really important to me and i don't need willpower to engage in goals that are values based right if i value my own joy then i'm going to engage in movement that feels joyful for me i don't need willpower for that i just need to remember i really enjoy this right and so for me i invite I invite clients to take willpower out of their idea of what they need to be doing um, because we don't, we don't need willpower. And it's so much more complex and intentional and yeah. And nuanced nuance. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, anytime someone says, if, if you really had the willpower, you'd have the, the beach body. <laughs> In <laughs> this face. case, I'm like, I'm like a army guy that's yes. like doing a boot camp on a beach. Well, and, okay. I can't move away from this without saying this. If willpower was such a, was really a thing right we believe it's not you can believe that it is right but from our perspective if willpower was really a thing there would be no doubt diet culture well and and yes the quote-unquote willpower or restriction is what we're actually talking about is usually what leads to um 
excess or what we call binging. Mm -hmm. And so anytime we quote unquote, will ourselves into reducing something that we're actually needing restriction, restriction, then we actually end up engaging in it in abundance or binge. So it's called the binge and restrict cycle, which is another whole other episode too. Yes. (laughs) So, um, okay. We've got to move on from that. Yeah. So can you talk to us about, um, body image. Yes. So this is another term that this is a soapbox that I'll die on as well. But body image is another term that's been co-op to be, to just mean, um, how we feel about ourselves, right? How we feel about what we look like, but there's actually four components of body image. And this comes from the body positive movement as it was originally intended. And so if the four components of body image is actually where I start when I'm doing work with clients around renavigating their relationship with body, we assess these four domains Mm -hmm. to see how they're feeling in each one of them. And then we can find shifts that we can make. Yeah. And if you're ever lucky enough to come to one of our groups, we do this work in a group setting as well. Yes. So Latika and I... Let's just plug that. Really That's quick. why I'm bringing it up because I, I want to plug, plug it. it. I know I'm I'm on your job today. <laughs> <laughs> so we run a body reclamation group, and we call it body reclamation. We we run it through um, Riverbend Counseling in Colorado Springs, and our body reclamation group starts with these four components of body image. We pre and post measure, um, and we do a lot of work in the curriculum there to help you re-navigate and reimagine your relationship with food, body, and movement. Mm-hmm. And it's highly experiential. We've gotten some great feedback about that group. Great. So if you're in the Colorado Springs area, mm-hmm. hit us up if you're interested. We've run it virtually too, which means you can engage if you're anywhere in Colorado. Yeah. So yeah, slide into our DMs if you'd like to know more. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So here are the four components of body image. The first component is how we think about our bodies. So these are the, th- the thoughts that we have about our body and, as- and about our appearance. The second domain or the second component is our emotions and our feelings that we have as a result of how we see our bodies. And so the feelings and the emotions associated with what our body is like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say emotions and feelings because emotions are those really guttural, universal human emotions. And then we also have the feelings, which are more nuanced than the lenses through which we experience the emotions. Right. The third is the beliefs or cognitions, but we like to say beliefs we have about our bodies. And so these can be pretty deeply held in some of those more installed and hardwired beliefs. Like um, a belief I held for a long time was that I wasn't in a romantic relationship because of my body. Mm -hmm. My body keeps me from love. These are things that are beliefs. And they're often subtle and sneaky and under the surface. We don't always know that they're there. That's right. Therapy often uncovers them. Yes. And group therapy. (laughs) That's right. And then the fourth component is the behaviors or the actions that we engage in or do not engage in based on how we feel about those first three or based on our perceptions in those first three. So this can be, um, maybe I don't lotion my body because I don't feel good about her. Mm-hmm. Maybe I um, don't go on dates because I don't feel good about her. Maybe I don't wear certain clothing, even though the temperature would ask me to right, right. because of how I feel about my body. Maybe I don't eat certain things. Maybe I do eat other things. You know, you maybe I don't picture. go to on social engagements because exactly. Yeah. yeah. You let your body keep you from certain things. Um, and one of the things we do in our group too, is we invite members to 
call their body by her, um, if that fits for them and their identity, that's how you and I kind of talk about. Mm -hmm. And then I also invite members to, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Spoiler alert. Okay. I won't say that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So those are the four components of body image. Would you add anything to those definitions to help them be more clear or robust? Maybe we should give some examples of thoughts and feelings since we gave examples of beliefs and um, behaviors. Yeah. Okay. So, so in thinking some thoughts that we can have about our body is I don't like my body or, um, I look ugly. I look fat, which we usually use as synonyms when they're not. Right. Um, or we can think my body is not good. Right. Um, so the thoughts and the beliefs kind of go together. They, they can, um, overlap. They can overlap. And when we think, when we think about thoughts, (laughs) thoughts happen cognitively or in our head, Beliefs are happening on a really more integral, deep-rooted level. Beliefs are things that drive us. Mm -hmm. Thoughts can be things that move through our mind. Yeah. But we often verbalize thoughts, but we act on beliefs. Right. So we'll say, I'm feeling fat. That's not a feeling or a belief. That's a thought. Thought, yep. That's based in the belief that fat is bad. And the emotion of lack of belonging or sadness, right? Yeah, I got so excited. I was about to snap you. Snap me. What did we say in the last podcast when someone's cool? (laughs) It's not just when they're cool. We'll have to talk about that later. But I said we we put them on. You just put me on. Okay. I'm using it wrong. Just move on. Okay. Um, Yeah. And so you can see how intertwined these four um, components are and how they weave in and out of each other. And that's why it's really important to separate them out and really understand what your thoughts, emotions, beliefs, and behaviors are. Well, and when we do this in a group setting too, we have, um, we have, like we said, that pre and post measure that we created verbal trademark. And (laughs) (laughs) we actually have, um, data around this where we can help group participants or we've we use this in our individual sessions too but we can have participants measure and see maybe there are certain parts of this that are most activated right now by diet culture like there's one or two components of their body image most severely impacted by Mm -hmm, diet culture mm -hmm. and we can target those but maybe there's other areas we draw strengths from where they don't score quite as high right yeah yeah so these four components really, I'm glad you asked for, for, um, examples of each. And as we provided them, you might think to yourself or do some kind of self-reflection of what do I think, feel, believe about my body? And then what do my behaviors look like as a result? It's a great journaling practice. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So we've defined diet culture, um, in our framework of body liberation, Um, we've talked about sneaky language and we've talked about the four components of body image. And so now let's move into what to do about all of this. Yeah. Right. How do we reject diet culture? Because we think that that's the first step. Yeah. And yeah, (laughs) this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Right. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about specifically that has been paramount in my ability to find Um, peace in my body is to see my body as my home. Mm. And so I often use the, the phrase her, you know, I use the word her to describe my body. And when I think of her as my home, I treat her a lot better than when I think of her as the problem. 
just made me think about actually being with and feeling our body because I think mm-hmm. oftentimes we walk around in the world in our head right. and we lose track of what's happening in our bodies. And if you are a person who doesn't have a specific type of trauma where being in your body is not okay, right. one of the first things you can do is start to really think about what it feels like in your body. And when I say feels like, I mean, what are the sensations that are coming up from you or for you, um, all of those kind of things. What, yeah. Where do you feel your emotion in your body versus right. cognitively thinking about your feelings and emotions? Right. So that's what I thought of when you talked about your body being home. It needs to coming be- Coming back home. Coming back home to it, and it needs to be a safe space. Yeah, which I think too, even if we can't find it to be a safe space initially, one of the things that you and I talk about is finding neutrality in mm-hmm, body. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it doesn't feel accessible or even desirable for you yet to be like, my body is fantastic. I'm grateful to her. I love her. Can we just end the fight for a while? Can we just put the weapons down? Right. And find some neutrality. Yeah. Um, one of the things I thought as you were just talking to is that if you're not quite ready to jump into rejecting and you might still be in the education phase or learning and figuring it out, right? Some of the people we talked about today are great starter points for that. So yeah. Sonia, Renee, Sonia Renee Taylor, Christy Harrison, yeah, Meg Boggs, who else? Lindo um, Bacon, you said. Lindo Bacon is really good. Um, we can put a list too of some of the podcasts that we like in yeah. the episode description today. So I think that's important to say about a step towards rejecting if you're not quite yeah. ready to reject. Yeah. And that, that brings up to challenging when, if you're not ready to tr- quite reject diet culture yet, but maybe begin challenging diet culture when you see it mm-hmm. inside yourself and then outside. Right. And so challenging some of those thoughts of I'd be more moral if I ate this, right? I'd right. be better if I ate this or if I did this movement. Right. Start to challenge some of those ideas and neutralize them. Or even thoughts about other people that you don't say out loud. Like, I can't believe that they are eating that. Or or a sneaky thought is, wow, look at that big girl on the treadmill. Good for her. Hmm. She might not be there to lose weight, my friend. Right. And she <laughs> might be an, a great elite runner for all you know, too. Right. <laughs> so we've got to challenge our assumptions around bodies, too. Yeah. And I think that also comes to setting boundaries around diet and body talk, which is big coming up in the holidays. Yes. It's really hard. It's really hard. Because most of our culture, and when I'm saying culture, I'm meaning American culture, Mm -hmm. um, because I think it crosses a lot of lines, right? Right. Um, Most people don't even know that diet culture is a thing. No, or that them commenting on a second or third helping of food you're having is not their place. Right. Or them them commenting on their, your body at all, especially yeah. if they're a family. Yes. Right. In, in perceived good or bad ways. Yeah. Oh, you look great. You've lost weight. Right. And and that too, setting internal boundaries means we stop saying things like that too. Right. I had the, um, someone share with me one time, they got a lot of compliments at a holiday gathering around weight loss mm-hmm. and they were very ill. Mm. And so you can sometimes be complimenting an eating disorder or a cancer diagnosis or other types of things when you compliment body change. Yeah. So be mindful. Right. Um, And then one of the last ways that I think we can start to challenge or reject diet culture is learning more about intuitive eating and joyful movement. Right. 
um, and Intuitive Eating by Elise, Evelyn Triboli yes. and Elise Reich. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I want to give them each other's last names always. Um, intuitive Eating is a framework. It is not a diet. And so sometimes when it's a little too early for us to engage in intuitive eating, we can read it and make it a diet because there's 10 principles. Please don't do that. Right. <laughs> and if you find yourself feeling tempted to do that, put the book down and come to it later. Right. Um, one of the most gifted eating disorder therapists that you and I know, Stephanie Hill here in town, she taught me that intuitive eating is really powerful, but we must first actually have access to our intuition. Mm. And when we're engaged in diet culture, diet culture actually asks us to reject violently our intuition. Right. And to do everything but intuitive movement, intuitive eating. Right. And so you have to come back into intuition and actually having a touch with her with intuition before the concept or framework of intuitive eating can mean anything to us. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. And that goes along too with joyful movement. And sometimes that means, which I think is a big takeaway for me, when you're new in this journey, one of the major takeaways might be that you have to pause some of your activities for a while. Right. You may have to take a break from exercise altogether for a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any other takeaways that you have? Well, I was going to ask you, I wonder... Would it be helpful to talk about intuitive um, movement and what that looks like in our lives? Yeah. Because it looks very different. It does for you and I. Yeah. So Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) We're different. We're the same but different. Um, Joyful or intuitive movement, we use those synonymously, like joyful movement, Mm -hmm. intuitive movement, is the type of movement, and, and you and I don't really use the word exercise anymore because of this work because the word exercise has become so contaminated for many people to me exercise was the thing you did to make your body smaller punishment that's right movement is how my body expands Mm -hmm. movement is how i feel fullest in my soul and so i love that imagery isn't that awesome right and it's such a reclamation well it's expansive yeah yeah well because i say reclamation because it's typically used to make yourself smaller yeah right and movement when it's joyful actually makes all parts of self bigger right the best parts of self um so joyful movement for me i actually learned from working with a great trainer with whom i set clear boundaries at the beginning um i i wanted to learn how to safely move my body because up until then i had always exercised to make my body smaller Um, and so I set really clear boundaries at onset and let her know I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm trying to move joyfully and I want to learn how to help my mobility and all these things. And it turns out I'm a badass is what I learned, (laughs) (laughs) but joyful movement for me actually means pretty high intensity in certain areas, especially around weightlifting. Mm -hmm. So I love to lift really heavy stuff and I like to push my body to limits that feel empowering. And I like to feel aggressive when I am in movement. (laughs) I really like that. And there's a a part of me that was, that woke up when I started doing movement like that, that had always been quiet because I was never allowed to be aggressive. I'm laughing because I just had the the memory of us. We used to go, we used to go to a kickboxing class (laughs) together. And it was pretty aggressive and you'd be so into it. And I like, I'm just laughing. You can't concentrate because you're like, mm, mm, mm. I was, I was working stuff out. Work- 
Yeah. I loved that class. Yeah. yeah. Joyful movement for me looks like, first of all, and mostly around dancing, mm-hmm. dancing of any sort. Right. Um, so I used to teach Zumba, which I loved, love, love. I love going to Zumba. I love practicing TikToks, even though I don't actually do them. <laughs> the hesitance with which you said I know. It's like, I don't need anybody asking me <laughs> to see a TikTok. <laughs> That it's strictly for me. Um, I love Pilates as well. And so, like, I like more flowy type of mm-hmm. movement. And that's what's intuitive to me. Well, and you and I took a training um, this year to be size inclusive fitness specialists mm-hmm. with Louise Green, um, formerly called Big Fit Academy. And I think they're changing the, the language on that. But you and I took that training together and we talked about this concept of having different workout personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to with movement, I don't like doing movement with someone. Like, I don't like workout buddies. Shocker. <laughs> That's right. Like, I like solo, solitary stuff. Yeah. And you love... It's hard, hard, hard for me to go to the gym alone. Yeah. And like, it's I need a buddy. Me. I like a buddy. It's so much fun to me. No. <laughs> Even when I taught Zumba, I didn't do that alone. Me and my, yeah. my bestie did it together. Yeah. And you guys taught a great yeah. class. But even down to different personalities around movement and our our work in body liberation is we really help clients figure out what that means for them. It's it's dismantling left and right, like what you're supposed to do versus what feels really great for right. you. Yeah. Yeah. So this is our body liberation episode. But in closing out this this season, I want to ask you a few questions about okay. this season. She told me as a, before this that she was going to ask me some questions. And I was like, <laughs> I love spontaneity. Not. Not. <laughs> she doesn't love it. I love watching Latika not love spontaneity, though. She loves doing this to me. So let's That's see right. how this goes. Yes. So just a couple. <laughs> one of the things I want to ask you is, what was one of your favorite parts about us starting this podcast this year? Ooh, that's a good question. See, they're always good questions. <laughs> of course, you think they're always good questions. They're your questions. That's right. No, but it really is a good question. Um, I... First of all, just learning how to podcast has been really interesting and fun. I think I was very trepidatious in the beginning, and I could even see my growth and be like, okay, I got this. We can do this. Um, I love having these conversations on tape because we have these kind of conversations all the time, Mm -hmm. which is how we ended up coming up with having a podcast because we were like, we should record this. We should record this. Um, So that's been really fun. And I think, like, really diving into these topics mm-hmm. and defining them for myself first so that yeah. we can talk about them has right. been I think so too. pretty cool. What about you? Um, for me, one of my favorite pieces of this has been the response we've gotten from our community. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is not lost on us. It means a lot to us when we get, like, texts about episodes we've made or people will send us messages on Instagram that feels amazing because we love this work, but what we love even more is that it touches people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really appreciated and loved the engagement we've gotten from our community and like asking us the things they want us to talk about. Right. Um, that's been my favorite part, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so my last question for you. Okay. <laughs> if is- you all could see her <laughs> with her hands in prayer mode. <laughs> What do you think it is about us 
as a unit, because we're a unit, while my therapist says, in my mind, Mm -hmm. we are this thing, right? We've become this thing. What do you think it is about us that has moved us the way we have been in the world? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like people say that's a good question to stall a little bit. That's what I'm doing right now to think. Because you don't think it's that great of a question. No, it is a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first thing that came to mind is the identities we share. Mm -hmm. Um, But also the identities we don't share really creates thoughtful, well-rounded conversations between the both of us. Yeah. So that's one of the things I think it is. And I think we're open. Yeah. Honest. Funny. Yes. You love that one. I love that one. Yeah. My answer is very similar. I love who I am in your presence. And I really like getting to see who you are in my presence. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love the prioritization of fun that we've gotten to have in this podcast. Yeah. Because um, we could have made this like very educational and had a PowerPoint. Nobody would listen. Nobody wants that, <laughs> <laughs> including us. Right. Um, but I love our prioritization of silliness and fun in this. Yeah. Okay. I have a sneaky last question. Okay. This is the last one. Uh-huh. In closing, let's tell our community what we want them to hold on to until we see them next season. Hmm. You go first. I'll go first. What I want our community to hold on to is the idea that there is space for you in this world. Exactly as you are this minute. There's nothing that that needs to change about you before you can take up space in this world. And that if you ever forget it, there are two badass, powerful women that will hold on to that belief for you until you come back home to it. Yep. Yeah. Similarly but not quite the same. I think I I said this in our last um, episode, but I just want to reiterate, I think what I want everyone to take away and hold on to is that you are worthy, deserving. It's your birthright. You don't have to earn it. Any of the things we've talked about. So if that's boundaries or self-care or body liberation, um, or going to therapy, you mm-hmm. are worth all of it and deserve it and should do those things as they fit into your life. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay, well, I love you, Latika. I um, love you, Jesse. <laughs> we love you well, my therapist says community. And we'll see you next season. Yes, thanks for listening. See ya. <laughs>